0: As we celebrate this Resurrection Sunday, I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. Luke is the third gospel, so if you find Matthew, Mark, and then Luke, we'll be reading from chapter 24. This is, this is the conclusion of the story. This is the culmination of all that we have waited for and anticipated during Lent. This is the chapter that contains those very words that we begin Easter Sunday with, that he is not here, he is risen. As we read from Luke 24, I invite you to keep a couple things in mind. One, that the choice to use all hail King Jesus had nothing to do with Michigan. That was chosen long before we knew what the outcome would be. And two, some of our uh, titles as we played around with the images that we would use um, had to do with, uh, jokingly we called it, uh, The Resurrection, Concrete and Tree Roots, A Breakup Song. Because this image that you see is a parable for what the resurrection is. Because I should confirm with a mason, where's Terry? Oh, there we go. Concrete is dead, right? There's nothing alive in it. Concrete is dead and it is poured over life. And yet you can see a tree off to the side and those roots, roots that contain life, break through and emerge, sometimes slowly. But in the end, that which is dead cannot contain that which is full of life. That life will break free, life will break through. This is a signpost for us to see Jesus and his resurrection. And I hope that as this image is up for a while, and there's a couple other ones that we'll play with today, I hope that throughout this year, as you walk wherever you might be, when you see a broken sidewalk, I invite you to remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that death cannot contain life and that maybe life breaks through and death tries to patch it back down, that we repair it, but life will break free again. With this image in mind, with this resurrection hope in mind, we're going to turn to Luke 24, verses 1 through 12, but before we do so, let's pray. Father God, bless the reading of your word. Jesus, God, help us to see you. Help us to see you clearly with hope that even was a mystery on the, on the morning of that first Easter. Holy Spirit, illumine your word to us that it may be living and active, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, the foundation of our hope and the assurance of our faith. Lord, send your blessing upon us in the reading and hearing of your word. Amen. Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. "'Be crucified on the third day, and be raised again.' Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven, and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense." Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Peter went away, wondering to himself what had happened. What's obvious to us is that life happened. Resurrection happened. Sin was conquered on Friday and salvation was assured on Sunday. Just like life emerging, like tree roots breaking up through concrete, life had emerged from death. But I don't blame Peter, or any of the disciples for that matter, for not getting it quite yet mostly out of sympathy, because I don't think many of us would have done much better. I do maybe think that they're a hair foolish for not believing the women, because, you know, when a group of women shows up to tell you what's up, you listen up. We have contained in verse 11 of Luke 24 the age-old battle for the sexes, where men don't seem to believe women unless they have to go and look for themselves. But that's part of the miracle of Easter, isn't it? That this testimony that's being shared is one that by normal means defies belief. It takes faith to grasp the resurrection. And in the case of Luke 24, a little bit of feminism just for the men to listen up and hear the women clearly. But their words seem to them like nonsense. And that's something to be attuned to. Because that attitude about the belief in the cross, about the hope of the resurrection, that attitude of it seeming like foolishness, that's somewhere else in Scripture. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This message of life emerging from death is foolishness to those who are perishing, to those who do not believe. It doesn't make sense. It defies explanation. And no one can quite wrap their minds around it at the beginning of Luke 24. And that's because all of the signs and analogies that we can have, whether it be springtime, which is a very normal season, which eventually we'll get, where life re-emerges from the cold ground, whether it's life breaking through death, any of those analogies point to Christ. But Christ is the actual thing being pointed to. Jesus is not an analogy for sidewalks broken by tree roots. Tree roots broken by tre- Sidewalks broken by tree roots are an analogy that point us back to Jesus that life cannot be contained. That all that weighs us down, that all that tries to hold us back, cannot hold us back because Jesus is the author, the pioneer, and the perfecter of our faith. The resurrection reminds us that life cannot be contained on this world because life is not limited to just this world, though it does matter here. But before the angel appeared, To the women, they weren't doing all that much better. Because the trip to the tomb was not one out of faith. They did not go to expect to find the resurrected Lord. They went out of love and devotion. And these things matter. Love and devotion and compassion matter. But they don't contain the full picture or the full story. The trip to the tomb... Was one of finishing the job because they expected that this was the end. And the only conundrum that they wondered about facing was how to roll the stone away so that they could get the spices that they had prepared to Jesus, to his dead body. No concern over Roman guards threatening their lives because their lives were wrapped up and united with Christ. But they went, not expecting in faith to witness the resurrection. They went to finish preparing a body for its permanent burial. The angel had to remind them that Jesus had even told them on numerous occasions, the earliest in the Gospel of Luke being Luke chapter 9, verse 22, where Jesus plainly said, "...the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, into the hands of the chief priests and the Pharisees and the tax collectors." into the hands of Pontius Pilate, who washed his own hands of it and said, Just do what you want. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Somewhere among all of the other things that Jesus did and said, no one had ever picked up on how serious Jesus was about this resurrection hope. The appearance of the glorious angels brings about the reaction in the women that everyone has when they react to the appearance of angels. Reverent fear. And we would too, because it would be terrifying. Just as when Jesus was born, the angels appeared to the shepherds. The shepherds bowed down in reverent fear. So it is when these two men, these angels, appear, blazing like lightning. They bow down in reverent fear. And just the way the angels always respond to people who meet them with reverent fear, they give them assurance and good news. But this is different from the shepherds. The shepherds were given good tidings of great joy, and they were assured that they did not have to be afraid. But the women are told something that is not only assurance from fear, but is confidence for the future. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. The shepherds who saw the angels at Jesus' birth knew that they had witnessed a miracle. They probably continued to talk about it and wonder what all it meant, but they also went back to being shepherds. Though they knew that something was different in the world, not much was going to change in their lives in that moment. Witnessing a miracle is one thing, but knowing the extent to which life will continue is another thing altogether. Because for the women, they go expecting to find the end and to bring Jesus' life to the best dignity of closure that they can, even though he was crucified on a cross for our sins, which is meant to be shameful and painful. The women are not brought just comfort, but they are brought confidence. Confidence that what they thought was the end was not the end. That death and the grave cannot contain the Lord Jesus. And if they are united with Christ, then what does that mean for them? What does it mean that the end that we thought was always the end, death and the grave, is no longer the end? The resurrection is like concrete poured over tree roots, where tree roots emerge because life will break free. Life cannot be contained. Our belief in the resurrection is the foundation of the hope that we have. And this hope is not the kind that turns Jesus into a cosmic Santa Claus that fixes all of our problems, but rather a hope that has patience, endurance, perseverance, and trust. That life will win out over death, even in the moments where death and pain and wrong are overwhelming. And in our case, slowly sometimes, You see on the next slide, kind of the image where, you know, the worst bike paths in the world. I guess it'd be worse for a skateboarder, but I don't know much about that. You'd have to talk to Jed. The ones where, you know, the concrete hasn't been broken, so it hasn't been called to the attention of the Parks and Recreation Committee just yet, but those tree roots are doing their number on the pavement. They're breaking free. It's not an overnight thing. There's nothing actually broken and exploding out of the ground, but it's there. Life is taking its toll on all of the effects of death. Life is slowly but surely breaking through. That resurrection hope that goes ever so slowly at times are the moments where we just pray day after day after day in hope. And maybe we can't even see the imperceptible cracks that begin to emerge. Slowly, that resurrection hope reminds us that life triumphs over death. And that even in setbacks, we remember that not everything has to get fixed on this side of heaven. Because sometimes what we want out of the resurrection is something like the next slide. And we want it in three days. We want it broken all the way, right away. In three days, or maybe three minutes if possible. If our prayers have to last longer than the amount of time it takes to make microwave popcorn, then, well, sometimes we lose hope. And we shouldn't do microwave popcorn anyway because stir crazy is way better. Quality. Victory over death. It only took Jesus three days, but that's because any victory that we have, any triumph that we share, is one that points to Jesus. Sometimes miracles take time, but the hand of God at work is a miracle all the same, no matter how much time it takes. Not every sin that we repent of, or addiction that we confront, or broken relationship that we seek to reconcile will necessarily happen in three days. The healing that takes place following the death of a loved one takes longer than three days. But the healing that takes place and the faith and hope that we have, that death does not have the final say, well, that will continue to emerge. Dr. J. Todd Billings, in his book, which you see on the next slide, is a professor at Western Theological Seminary. Um, Pastor Audrey and Nathan and Caitlin were all research assistants for Dr. Billings, or are, um, and he has a diagnosis of incurable cancer. And out of that experience, he wrote this book, Rejoicing in Lament. A few years ago, we read it here in a book study Sunday school class. What does it mean that we celebrate resurrection hope even when our life on this earth has an unremovable death sentence? One of the things that I've most latched onto in Dr. Billings' talk about all of this is when he articulates the difference between being healed and being cured. Because he talks about if he had to choose one or the other of being healed in fullness through participation in Christ, by being united with Christ in baptism in his death and resurrection, or being simply cured of his cancer, he would choose being healed. To be cured of one thing on this earth means that we'll still die of another. But the pursuit of resurrection hope is one of full healing. Sometimes that we see signposts of that point us to Jesus here on this earth and sometimes not. And that when we gather here for funerals, celebrating someone's life but also celebrating the hope of the resurrection, we celebrate what? Not that they were cured, but that they have been healed in all of their fullness and glory and splendor And through Christ's sacrifice, through the forgiveness of sins, have been invited into heaven to hear the words of their Savior say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's happiness, where with unveiled face you shall behold him. Billings points out that being cured is temporary, but being healed is eternal. By being joined with Christ, by believing in our heart and confessing with our lips that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Even when we die, we still live. I'm grateful for Dr. Billings for making this distinction, even as Caitlin and I know that her father's cancer is also incurable. But life in Christ wins in the long run. I'm also grateful to another theologian, Dr. Ian Malcolm, you'll see him on the next slide. Dr. Ian Malcolm says this, Life breaks free. Life expands to new territories, painfully, perhaps even dangerously, but life finds a way. Life finds a way. Now, if you're beginning to wonder if Dr. Ian Malcolm looks a lot like uh, Jeff Goldblum From Jurassic Park, you're right, because it is April Fool's Day after all, and I just couldn't resist. (laughs) But actually, the quote, even though painfully taken out of context, is not untrue of the resurrection, that life breaks free from the grave, that life expands to new territories, that the promises of Christ were not just limited to the Jews, to the Hebrew people, but they were for all people. Life expands to new territories because Jesus told us to go out into all nations, making disciples of all people. Painfully, perhaps even dangerously, yes. Jesus' death on the cross for our sins was painful. And sometimes our life of faith might be dangerous. And if it's too domesticated, it might not be being lived in its fullness. Perhaps even dangerously, we proclaim and hold to this hope of the resurrection. But life finds a way. Although to be accurate in quoting Ian Malcolm, it should be life uh, uh, finds a way. Jesus' death and resurrection is the triune God's way of life emerging. I like this original image. Because you can see one spot where they've tried to hold it back, where they've maybe ground down the concrete, tried to patch it up a little bit, but then it just breaks through in another spot. That type of perseverance and audacity that we continue to live for the fullness of life, being free from the ultimate verdict of the thief who only comes to kill and steal and destroy, says the Gospel of John. This is life that perseveres through sorrow and even through death itself. And this is the life that we know is given to us because he is not here. He has risen. Jürgen Moltmann, who actually is a theologian, no more jokes, Jürgen Moltmann writes that Jesus' life is inspired not just by the wish for a life after death, but by the will for life before death, yes, even against death. Our faith is a posture, not only of the reward of eternal life, of salvation, of being united with Christ in heaven, but also a tenacity and a perseverance that we live with resurrection hope, knowing that this is not the end. Nothing that we see here is the end the best that we get to do is point towards the future of life. The women at the tomb and the first disciples were soon going to make sense of it all and know the joy of resurrection hope that is ours to live fully into. And it is this, that all the ways in which sin and death and pain have broken our world do not have the final say. They do not have the last word. They do not have the closing verdict. They're like concrete poured over tree roots. Our sufferings will weigh heavily upon us. They're real. They're difficult to deal with. And we can lament the pain that they cause us. But eternal life gets the final word. Eternal life gets the final word over death, the final say over pain, over depression. Eternal life breaks free through cancer and anxiety, Parkinson's and diabetes, over ALS, over shame, over our guilt and insecurity, arthritis and blindness, over hatred, fear, violence, division, grudges. Life in Christ breaks free through our despisement and our despondence, over war and bigotry, over divisions between and within nations and peoples. Eternal life gets the final say over all these forms and effects of sin and death because like concrete over tree roots, life will break free. Because Jesus broke free from the grave, triumphant, eternal, in glory and power, in splendor, in majesty. Because on that first Easter we learned that he is not here, he cannot be contained, for he has risen. He has risen indeed. Amen. Let's pray together.